find that one of the greatest misunderstandings in a church is in the area of spiritual gifts. It can bring much glory, much edification, but at the same time, it can also spiritual gifts can also bring a lot of hurt and a lot of confusion. Now, what I want to do is just start reading at verse 23, because we're going to be talking about tongues and interpretation tonight. We'll review a little bit, <clears throat> but while you're standing, if therefore the whole church be come together in one place and all speak with tongues, and there come in those <coughs> that are unlearned or unbelievers, will they not say that you're mad? In other words, the word mad appears here. It's like these people are crazy. But if all prophesy and there come in one that believeth not or one unlearned, he is convinced of all, he is judged of all, and thus are the secrets of his heart made manifest, and so falling down on his face, he will worship God and report that God is in you of a truth. How is it then, brethren? When you come together, every one of you hath a psalm, hath a doctrine, hath a tongue, hath a revelation, hath an interpretation. Let all things be done unto edifying. All right. And you may be seated, and this is what we talked about last week, and that's everything should be done for the purpose of edification. Edification means to, to, be, to build up, to lift up. Uh, and, and, and this is such an important thing, because 1 Corinthians 13 deals with love. It also deals with Faith, it deals with prophecy. First uh, Corinthians 13 starts out, Though I speak with the tongues of men and of angels, and have not charity, I am become a sounding brass or a tinkling cymbal. And though I have the gift of prophets and understand all mysteries. Basically, if you read First Corinthians 13, you will find that this character trait, character is what you are, this character trait of Jesus is the undergirding character trait that should be used in the exercising of spiritual gifts. Now, <clears throat> in the scripture, we find the gifts of the Spirit in 1 Corinthians 12, also Romans 12. Now, this is just a partial list that are found in 1 Corinthians 12, which we we actually started about a month and a half ago, and we read to you those spiritual gifts. We have not dealt with Romans 12 yet. We will get there. You will find that spiritual gifts display, or it is the avenue in which the power of God is displayed among men. Now, the fruit of the Spirit that's found in Galatians 5 is the character of God. For the fruit of the Spirit is, and you find one of them is love. Peace, another. Joy, another. So forth and so on. Now, character is what you are. Now, <clears throat> the authority of God is found in Ephesians 4 when it speaks of what we commonly call the fivefold ministry. Now, the reason why I think it's important to mention this is because 
In 1 Corinthians 14, it does talk about spiritual authority. It also talks about edification or the building up. So basically what we find in the scripture, every Christian should possess the power of God. Ye shall receive power after that the Holy Ghost has come upon you. They should possess the power of God. They should also possess His character. And then, there, with this, comes a possession of His authority. See, He gave us power to tread upon serpents, scorpions. Now, we know that's talking about evil forces. So, when you receive the gift of the Holy Ghost, the word gift is taken from a different word that, than we find in 1 Corinthians 12. When we talk about the gift of the Holy Ghost, <coughs> in Acts 8, Peter <coughs> declares to Simon to think that the gift of God can be purchased with money, because he offered money to buy uh, the power of God. And of course, uh, uh, Peter rebuked him for this. <clears throat> so the word gift means there in First Corinth, uh, in Acts 8, it's, it's basically talking about a free present. But as we find it in 1 Corinthians 12, it's, it's talking about the possession of abilities or talents, special endowments. God, through the free present or gift of the Holy Ghost, has given you ability. That's what a ministry is all about. But in order to use this talent or this ability, you need the character of God. Now, we do this in stewardship class. Most of you have, have heard me do this. But in 1 Corinthians 13, this tells you, Character, this is what Jesus is. Charity, the word charity is used in the King James, Ver King James Version. It means love, agape love. Charity suffereth long and is kind. Charity envieth not. Charity vaunteth not itself, is not puffed up, does not behave itself unseemly. If you want to know how closely associated this is with Jesus, just put the, just put the name Jesus there. Jesus suffered long. We'll put it in the past tense. Jesus was kind. Jesus envied not. Jesus did not vaunt himself. He was not puffed up. He did not behave himself unseemly. He sought not his own. He was not easily provoked. He thought no evil. He rejoiced not in iniquity, but he rejoiced in truth. He bore all things. He believed all things. He hoped all things. He endured all things. Jesus never failed. Now, thats I don't think you find a better description of our Lord than that. Now, if you ever get feeling like you, you have arrived, that you have really accomplished something, if you ever get feeling like you, you know, that that you are Mr. or Mrs. or Ms. It in the kingdom of God, all you have to do is go put your own name there and compare yourself to the character trait of the Lord. My name is John. 
My wife's name is Darlene. I said, Darlene. <laughs> Think about what I'm reading, huh? I'm talking about love here. <laughs> I just caught a twinkling of her eye that. <laughs> All right. <clears throat> My throat is scratching. All right. <clears throat> Darlene suffers long. I mean, John suffers long. And John is kind. <clears throat> My. <clears throat> put, put your own name there and read it. I'll tell you. <laughs> John bore all things, he believes all things, he hopes all things, endures all things, John never fails. Now what this will do, this will help you to properly evaluate yourself. See, in 1 Corinthians 11, before all this starts in motion, as you know, the Apostle Paul talks to the ladies, doesn't he? And he talks to the ladies about their attitude and about them being submissive to authority. He ends up <coughs> by talking to each one of us about the about, uh, communion. He said, but let a man examine himself. All right. Somebody just offered me a cough drop. And I have a whole pocket full of them. Thank you, though, Cecilia. I appreciate that. If I tried to do this with a cough drop in my mouth, it might end up out there someplace. <laughs> but at any rate, where were I? Or where was I? What, what am I doing anyway? <laughs> somebody got me all mixed up. I don't know if it was Cecilia or Sister Grant or somebody else. Cecilia was giving everybody a hard time for church, so I'm going to blame her a little bit. All right. <clears throat> We're going to back up a notch. Where was I when the lights went out? All right. <clears throat> First Corinthians 11. But let a man examine himself. Now you see the reason why that you need to examine yourself because you and you only examine yourself as you allow the Holy Ghost to look inside of you. I can prove scripturally you cannot trust your heart. You can't trust your flesh. You can't trust your feelings. And you cannot trust your mind. You may say, well, <laughs> well, what can I trust about myself? Well, if you can find anything else there, you might be able to trust it. But there's nothing else. <laughs> the truth of the matter is, you have to trust God's Word. And you examine yourself in light of the Word. And that's exactly what we were doing. And so the reason why I challenge you, because spiritual gifts can be such a blessing. But I tell you, I've been places where there has been abuse of spiritual gifts. And, and, and you know, just things really got out of whack. Really got out of whack. And every now and then, you know, someone wants to be used of the Lord, and they're not really submissive. You should be submissive to the body of Christ. You should be submissive to the Spirit of the Holy Ghost. 
things really got out of hand. And that's the reason why this was written. And, and it is so very, very important. So what we do in order for us to use the power, the ability, the talent that the Holy Spirit gives us, we must possess the character and submit to the spiritual authorities over us. Now, <clears throat> wish we had time at the end of this session for questions, but we will not be able to. But let's. what we want to do, we just want to start analyzing this. Now, tongues and interpretation and, and prophecy are the gifts that are mentioned in 1 Corinthians 14. Obviously, regulations are placed on these three gifts because these three, while they do have tremendous potential for edification, they also have tremendous potential for uh, giving the church a directive or giving an individual directive, uh, you know, that, that's not quite right. Now, you have to understand one thing about people, and that is that uh, we, I say we, I include myself along with all of you, we are not perfect. And as much as we try to be, we are not. And uh, don't expect perfection out of people. Uh, and I would not want anybody here to feel that they cannot be used of God because they look at some super Christian among us someplace. Most of us have some role models that that stand out in our mind in the church and we look at these people as as almost infallible. Uh, you do not have to be perfect to be used of God. You have to keep that in mind. Also, <clears throat> if you are used in spiritual gifts, you must understand that people are carefully watching. They do carefully scrutinize. And so as a result, you should strive to at least be as perfect as you can be. All right? That is something that is... I think, is necessary. Now, tongues and interpretation and then prophecy are mentioned. Now, <clears throat> let's back up to the first part of chapter 14, follow after charity and desire spiritual gifts, but rather that you prophesy. But he that speaketh in an unknown tongue speaketh not unto men, but unto God. For no man understandeth him, howbeit in the Spirit he speaketh mysteries. But he that prophesieth speaketh unto men to edification and exhortation and comfort. He that speaketh in an unknown tongue edifieth himself, but he that prophesieth edifieth the church. All right? I would that you all speak with tongues, but rather that you prophesy. For greater as he that prophesieth than he that speaketh with tongues, except he interpret. Now, <clears throat> basically, uh, let me finish it, except he interpret that the church may receive edifying. When you read this, the whole chapter, and we will make some references and go back and forth, I will not be able in this session to read every verse, verse by verse, 
We're going to skip read some of this and hopefully put things in uh, proper perspective so that you would take and be able to read any scripture in chapter 14, uh, short of verse 34 through 40, and which I hope to get to later. And you will be able to at least follow the line of logic that Paul's using. Now, Paul is talking about speaking in tongues as a way to edify oneself. Then he talks about speaking in tongues that's followed by an interpretation. That operation is separate and apart from the operation of just speaking in tongues, which we'll cover a little later. But where there's tongues and an interpretation, this is equivalent to prophecy. Prophecy is giving a verbal or an utterance, a verbal message or an utterance, uh, to the congregation. Now, I know that people say, I've heard people ask, well, can you just prophesy about anything? Well, I don't think that we should ever say that. I don't think you should even ask that question. Because I think it should be God that, that speaks through you. And then, of course, this is regulated to edification, exhortation, and comfort. And exhortation covers a pretty broad category. Comfort does also. But the bottom line is, even when you are exhorting in prophecy, the underlying character trait that must be used is the character trait of love. That you must speak with kindness and gentleness and love. I don't know what it is. There's just something about people... Uh, they feel in order to be real spiritual that you have to be hard and stern and a little spooky. You know. It's, it's amazing how people get into, involved in this. Just, you know. I mentioned this whenever I spoke last Thursday night. I remember a gentleman came up. I asked him, how are you? And he says, you know. You know. As if, you know, that, that somewhere in the reader board of my mind, I had all these instruments that had everybody's name on it. And I know who's, <laughs> you know, what's going on in everybody's life. I said, no, how are you? He says, you know. That's all he would ever tell me. You know, I didn't want, I wanted to appear to be real spiritual because he thought I was. But I had no idea. You know, you know, and I, you know, you hate to, to, especially when you're involved. There's, a, there's a, there's an element involved. You'd like for people to think you're spiritual, you know. But the truth of the matter is, I said, you know, I really don't know. That's why I ask you. You know, I don't have any idea how you're doing. You know. He was not going to let me off the hook. I am, I, Pastor Grant, you are spiritual, and I know you don't even have to ask me. You've been praying for me all week long. You know what a bad shape I'm in. 
So, <clears throat> that's it. <clears throat> it's amazing. You know, you can be used of God. You don't walk down the sidewalk and everybody has a devil. You know it. You know. I mean, it doesn't work that way. It really doesn't. Christians can just be plain old people and have a good time and laugh about things and laugh about their weaknesses and cry and same time be used of God. Really. Every now and then it does does you good to just, you know, do something real dumb, laugh at yourself. Some people can't laugh at themselves. You know? Now, I'm not saying you should get so giddy that you can't be used, you know, God. It's foolish, you know. It's goofy. But uh, <clears throat> tongues and interpretation and prophecy. And they both have their place. However, the tongues followed by interpretation is equivalent to prophecy. Now, the Corinthians had overestimated the importance of speaking in tongues in uh, public worship they had overestimated this in other words for some reason when they got in a service in a public service they obviously all over the place people were just talking in tongues now I, I want to set the record straight I believe that in a public service there is a part of that service that is devoted to personal worship to God and, and I'd be the first to tell you that I would hate to see the day in which we resorted to just entertainment from behind the pulpit. People singing. But, on the other hand, you must understand, as much as you really like to worship God, and as much as you like to receive edification, that basically public services, like we're having now, uh, <clears throat> should benefit both the saved and the unsaved. And uh, if you resort only to just speaking in tongues, which edifies self, without an interpretation, uh, you will be misunderstood. I think I, I, I think I remember several years ago telling this story. I was in Chicago. I was looking for a dear friend of mine who came here and preached for us, Brother V.A. Gidrose. Some of you remember Brother Gidrose. He was with us several years ago and I, I looked all over where I was supposed to find him I couldn't find him and all of a sudden I heard this this preacher and it was it was a lady preacher and man she was preaching you know hellfire and brimstone and you know everybody that's sinners all the sinners are going to die and burn in hell and I mean, she was really anointed well I stopped at a, at a stop light we couldn't go across the street. Well, she was across the street preaching. And uh, she mentioned something about Jesus' name, baptism, and about the infilling of the Holy Ghost. So <clears throat> there was a man in front of me, and the Lord just spoke to me and said, This man needs some help. And I noticed while he was watching her, he dropped his head. I said, Right here and with all these people, this man is very much under conviction. So when we walked across... I, I just walked up even with him and started talking to him. And he said, I'd like to very, I'd, very much I'd like to meet this, this lady that's, that's, that's talking. So what I did, I walked up and she was preaching. So 
You know, I just, I'm, I'm just assuming she's preaching to get people saved. You know, you'd think that, wouldn't you? So I walk up to her, and, and I said, uh, uh, Ma'am, I said, are you an apostolic preacher? She said, Yes. And she kept on preaching. And about every... Well, let's put it this way. She was speaking in tongues more than she was preaching. You know, I could make out what she was saying, but she'd speak in tongues. So I put out my hand and I said, well, I'm an apostolic preacher. I said, I'd like to talk with you. I said, I have a gentleman here that would like to meet you. Well, he had given me his name while we were standing there. And this lady got me by the hand. Well, <clears throat> she's going to shake hands with me. But all she'd do is, you know, and just talk in tongues and talk in tongues and talk in tongues. So I said, ma'am, I'm an apostolic preacher. And, you know, I shouldn't have said that. That just, you know, just... She just went more into speaking in tongues. Now, I said, there's a man here that would like to talk with you. He heard you preaching. She didn't pay me any attention. And, of course, she had me by the hand, and she's speaking in tongues. And uh, I tried my best. She wouldn't listen to me. And she just kept on just talking in tongues, and everybody was looking at us over there holding hands on the sidewalk, you know. <laughs> You know, well, this man stood there through several lights. You know, the people are going on. And finally, you know what he did? He just walked on. I pulled free and I walked on too. Well, I got on a block away and I could hear her just preaching away again. I thought, now, wait a minute. With all this, you get a convert and you're not even able to help this person. This doesn't make sense. Now, evidently, the Corinthians were running some of their services like this because, <clears throat> you know, they, they were overestimating uh, speaking in tongues in, in public worship. Uh, <clears throat> notice I did say public worship. I don't know that you could overestimate the value of speaking in tongues in private worship. And if... The bulk of your worship is done right here in church, which takes place on Sunday morning, Sunday evening, and Sunday night. If the bulk of it is done here, you are really missing out in your Christian walk with God. All right? Now, what I think we should do is talk about uh, the, the purpose of tongues. Now, we know in the Bible... That when they received the Holy Ghost, they spake with tongues. This was the initial evidence of receiving the Holy Ghost. Now, I have done quite a bit of preaching on Sunday morning. We have a good number of guests almost every Sunday morning. If I'm preaching, I always talk. I say always, almost always talk about salvation. I've explained speaking in tongues and why. And This Sunday morning, <clears throat> I'm planning on preaching a message entitled, why good men go to hell. And I will be talking about that. But they, the, the speaking in tongues in the Bible, when one had received the Holy Spirit, was the evidence or the sign that they had received the gift of the Holy Ghost. 
Now that is not to be confused with 1 Corinthians 14, the bulk of the speaking in tongues is spoken of in this chapter. And it is highly confused in some Pentecostal ranks. I've heard a lot of Pentecostals have asked me this. Are you spirit-filled? I said, yes. Do you have the gift of tongues? Now, what they mean usually is, do you, have you spoken with tongues? And I always say, you mean, have I spoken with tongues or do I have the gift of tongues? And they, there is a difference? Yes. That's the reason why 1 Corinthians 14 is written. There is a difference. All right, so when you first receive the Holy Ghost, you speak with tongues. This is the heavenly language. You see, the church is a nation. You know, we say America is a Christian nation. Someone said, well, it's not anymore. And I made the reference. I said, well, I used to say America is going to the dogs. And I stopped saying that. Out of respect for dogs. Now, the thing about it is, though, that we are a nation. Peter says we are royal priesthood and holy nation. And God has called us out of darkness into his marvelous light. He has separated us. The church does indeed have its own culture, its lifestyle, by that I mean, its language. God has given all of us a heavenly language. Now, <clears throat> when they received the Holy Ghost in the Bible, they spake with tongues. Now, also when they prayed... They edified themselves by continuing to pray in this prayer language that they had received when they were born again. 1 Corinthians 14, 2, notice what he says. For he that speaketh in an unknown tongue speaketh not unto men, but unto God. For no man understandeth him, howbeit in the Spirit he speaketh mysteries. In other words, when a man is in his prayer closet or in private worship, he's speaking with tongues. And the Spirit of the Lord comes upon him. He communicates with God. <clears throat> also, verse 4, He that speaketh in an unknown tongue edifieth himself. So this is when we receive self-edification. Uh, if you look at verse 14 and 15, for if I pray in an unknown tongue, my spirit prayeth. And I think some people do not value the inner man communicating with God. The spirit of man com communicating with God. You know, you can pray with your mind. And you can also pray with your spirit. For I pray in an unknown, for if I pray in an unknown tongue, my spirit prayeth, but my understanding is... Unfruitful. Verse 15. What is, it, what is it then? He said, I will pray with the Spirit, and I will pray with the understanding also. I will sing with the Spirit. I will sing 
with the understanding also. I don't know if we have anyone here that that regularly sings in tongues. I don't do a very good job singing in English, but but occasionally the Spirit comes upon me, especially in private worship. I like to sing, and I just I just I don't know of anything that I like to do more than than just sing in tongues. Just sing in tongues. What good is this doing? Well, <clears throat> it obviously is not doing much good for you. However, <clears throat> it does have a long-range, profound effect upon you. Because you would not want a preacher... To stand behind the pulpit and speak words that you understand. If he was void of the anointing of the Holy Ghost. And so when you pray in in the spirit in the prayer room or even when you're worshiping in here. It does have an effect on some. It may be an indirect effect. In other words, nobody hears you speaking in tongues and says, Oh my, they're speaking in tongues. I feel good about this. No, but they feel good when they feel the anointing of God upon your life. And then, of course, verse 18. Paul says, I thank my God I speak with tongues more than you all. And so he, he makes a, a, a qualifying statement here. Now, <clears throat> so we find that it is, it is so necessary for us to speak with tongues. However, if we just all came together and that's all we did, and I'm up here trying to preach in tongues and sing in tongues, you know, I remember, I remember being in a church one time which a lady got up to sing and she started she started the words, and I know what happened. She forgot the words because she was looking all over for her song, and she couldn't find her. She couldn't find the words of her song, so she got into it, and she forgot the words. <clears throat> I mean, that's that's bad. And and then all of a sudden, she didn't know what to do, so she just started speaking in tongues, and she sung her song in tongues. Now, to my knowledge, there were no unbelievers there, but if they had have been. Uh, it would not have had the effect upon the people, her speaking in an unknown tongue, singing this song. I, I know what happened. She just panicked. She, you know, she was doing this in self-defense. I'm not trying to be judgmental, you know. I, I might get up and try to sing a song one of these days, and I might forget my words. <laughs> if I do... I'll probably be singing in tongues. <laughs> but, uh, <clears throat> but you know, if there'd have been a whole bunch of, let's say we're having a church dedication and the mayor's there and and, and, and contractors and everything, they, they'd probably say, what's she saying? You know, they probably wouldn't have known. You follow what I'm saying? And <clears throat> there is a ministry... There is a ministry in singing. There is a ministry in playing these instruments. There is a ministry in testifying. There is a ministry 
in, in everything that we do while we're here. And we must understand that we must receive edification for ourselves in order to qualify for that ministry. But if you're trying to qualify for that ministry, at the same time that you're trying to get people saved, you will not be nearly as productive. A good example of that would be, every now and then I preach, and the anointing of God's in this place, and God begins to convict sinners, and half the church will come to the altar. Now that's okay if that's what I'm asking for. But if I'm asking for people to come to the altar, don't flood the altar, because what happens, you leave behind people that need the Holy Ghost. And you know, if every time I preach, and the anointing of God is upon me, and, and you feel you need to come and pray, you will not be nearly as effective you know, as you would be if you go pray prior to service and, and get your heart conditioned during song service and then come down here and help pray somebody through. But there are some people that they, they, they always think of themselves before they think of others. And truthfully, you will never score an A in Christianity at the most, it'll be around a C minus in Christianity if the predominant factor uh, in your life is yourself. Now, you've got to get ready. You have to get prayed up. It's necessary that you pray, that you get prayed up and stay prayed up. That's necessary. Now, in Jude 20, there's a reference made. But ye, beloved, building up yourselves on your most holy faith, praying in the Holy Ghost. Now, it doesn't say speaking in tongues, but praying with the divine enablement of the Holy Ghost. And, and, and I personally think this is what Jude is, is making reference to. So it is necessary for us to edify ourselves. But we can't spend precious time in edifying ourselves as individuals when there are lost people among us. We should be edified prior to that. We should be prayed up and on fire prior to that. <clears throat> now, uh, speaking in tongues involves the spirit of man and the spirit of God intermingling. So that the believer communicates directly with God. Oh, this is so important. It's so important. That is in prayer and praise and singing or whatever. Uh, just extremely, extremely important. You need to let the Holy Ghost directly affect you. Affect your mind. Affect your attitude. Affect your heart. And this is the reason why that you need to pray in the Spirit. But on the other hand, when we all come together, it is necessary that uh, we allow God to use us and anoint us for the benefit of a brother or a sister who is weak. Someone who's backslidden or an unsaved person who has never come to God. Now, in order for this to happen, when there are tongues... This should be followed by an interpretation. Notice what he says, verse 19. Yet in the church I would rather speak five words with my understanding 
that by my voice I might teach others also than 10,000 words in an unknown tongue. I've had various denominal preachers to point this out to me. I said, yeah, but Paul says in the church. See, he qualifies this by saying in the church. And, and what he's doing here, he's, he's comparing what you do in private or should do in private versus what you do in public. So, well, that means then you should never speak in tongues in a public service. I said, now, he doesn't say that. Now, if you want to get that technical, let me ask you this. Do you have prayer in your church? Yes. I said, but didn't Jesus tell us we should pray in our closet of prayer? See, what you're doing, you're taking this totally out of context. You're missing the point altogether. See? So, he's saying, in the church. This is what he says in verse 20. Brethren, be not children in understanding, howbeit in malice you be children, but in understanding be men. In the law it is written, with men of other tongues and other lips will I speak to this people and yet for all that will they not hear me, saith the Lord. Now he's quoting from Isaiah, isn't he? Isaiah 28, verse 11 and 12. All right, verse 22. Wherefore tongues are for a sign not to them that believe, but to them that believe not. Now, the other tongue... When you initially receive the Holy Ghost, that's a sign not to the unbelievers, but to the believer. It's a sign that you've been filled with the Holy Ghost. And also in your private communication with God, tongues are for your benefit, not for anybody else's benefit. But when prophecy... Our tongues and interpretation comes forth for the benefit of the unsaved or to edify the body. It is not for the believer, but for the unbeliever. All right? But prophesying serveth not for them that believe not, but for them which believe. Now, I have looked at this. I've taught this. i I've rethought it out. I've, I've taught it, uh, analyzed it. I, I think that what you will find is that, that, that Paul goes into a line of logic here, and, and, and I want to get into this, and I know my time's running out, but what he's basically saying is that <clears throat> where there's tongues and interpretation, <clears throat> that this seems to serve more... Uh, to the unbeliever, uh, prophecy, that is, the, where there is no tongue, but just a message coming from God, is, is serves more for believers. Now let me get into that, okay? <clears throat> Verse 23, If therefore the whole church come together in one place, and all speak with tongues, 
There come in those that are unlearned or unbelievers. Will they not say that you're mad? But if all prophesy, and there come in one that believeth not, or one unlearned, he is convinced of all, he is judged of all. Now I know that he uses the word prophesy here. And, but notice up, tongues and interpretation are equivalent to prophecy. I think what he's saying above is that, that the prophecy, the telling forth without the message of tongues, usually uh, serves for the purpose of edifying believers. Uh, tongues and interpretation is usually when unbelievers are present. I, I will get into that a little bit later in the reading of the scripture. Because he continues this. Verse 25. And thus are the secrets of his heart made manifest. And so falling down on his face. He will worship God and report that God is in you of a truth. How is it then brethren? When you come together. Everyone hath a psalm. Hath a doctrine. Hath a tongue. Hath a revelation. Hath an interpretation. Let all things be done unto edifying. Alright. Now verse 27. If any man speak in an unknown tongue. Let it be by two. Or at the most by three. And that by course, and let one interpret. Now, I have, I have uh, believed this for many years. I asked Brother Rutherford to give me a little help on this. I've also asked several others that have been involved in the Greek language. Uh, I, I don't see, when I look at this, any possible uh, interpretation other than the one that I'm giving you. If, if I did, I, I would give it to you. Now, see, I do not believe that things have to be perfect in the church in order for God uh, to move. And I believe that God uses things le- that are less than perfect sometimes. But I think uh, what Paul is doing when he outlines spiritual gifts, he said, now this is the ideal way. This is the perfect way, in other words. I know you'll go to some meetings and... And somebody will give a message in tongues, and somebody will just stand up and interpret it. One message in tongues, one interpretation. I've heard people say, boy, that was smooth, that was slick. We didn't need but one message in tongues. Interpretation. He doesn't say that. He said, let it be by two. At the most by three. All right. No more than three. But at least two. That's what he's saying. Because, you see, the tongues and interpretation are for unbelievers, not for the believer. And you will find this is a doctrine that's taught throughout history, especially from the giving of the Mosaic Law, that by the words of of two or three witnesses, let every word be established. Now you have to understand that we're dealing we're dealing with the word of God, but we're not dealing with with the written word of God. I know not long ago I read a an article someone had written and had to do about holiness standards, and they said, Well, but the Bible says out of the word of two or three witnesses, let every word be established. Well, you're taking that totally out of context if you're talking about the Bible. Because I can tell you many, many things in the Bible that's written one time. And it is established as a truth when God speaks it. 
God does not need to have a witness other than himself. And every word is established. But now when it comes to you and I and our involvement, separate and apart from the word of God, now that's a different thing. If someone is disfellowship from the church, first there is a person who goes alone. And then there's the two or three witnesses. Isn't that what the Bible says? All right, that's what it says. And then, then it, it also talks about, it, it, it talks, it, it talks about uh, simple prayer meetings. If there be two or three gathered in my name. Now he said, I will be in, in their midst. But what he, he's, he's, he further establishes this. If two or three on the earth touching any one thing. I preached a message on the power of the cooperate witness. Jesus was nailed on the cross but two, because two men that were hired and known liars came and lied against him. And, and, and all of you have been acquainted with, with testimonies like this. It's just my word against his word. And, and you don't know what's going to happen, but if you have more than your word. And there's a safeguard in this, and, and the safeguard is that if there's someone among us with a dirty, rotten attitude trying to promote themselves in order for them to be involved in the two or three witnesses, there has to be a Powerful conspiracy going on. Now that doesn't mean that if a man gives a message in tongues and nobody interprets, that we all walk away and say, oh, there's the guy that's a fr- it's fraudulent, you know. We, no, he's a rotten apple. We don't say that at all. It's just that we didn't proceed any further and we you, you just can't, in other words, there's no validity it was not harmful, but it was not helpful. It, it could have been the second person and the third person supposed to give a message in tongues and didn't. Maybe they quenched the spirit, but they didn't. But it does keep someone from coming in and controlling the congregation. So there is the one message. There is a second message. Let it be but two. At the most by three, and that by course, and let one interpret. And when it says that by course, in other words, in the same sequence. <clears throat> in other words, you wouldn't have a message in tongues at the beginning of the service, one in the middle and one at the end, and then when we all started out the door, somebody giving an interpretation. Because that's confusing. In other words, there has to be a link there. Now, I know I've heard a lot of people say, well, let's talk about one service. It does not say that. And I'll tell you what, I've been in some powerful long services. But the cold talked about having services in Ethiopia that were 12 hours long. People just came there and they worship all day and they had a different crew. I've committed to go with Brother Cole to Ethiopia in 96. I want to go. He's made me promise and Brother Rogers and I are going with him. 
I think Sister Grant's going to go. I want her to. She looked at me as if that's news to me. Now, after three, if there be no interpretation, let him keep silence in the church and let him speak to himself and to God. You know, every now and then, a person can just become loud in their worship. They can burst out in tongues. They, they think in their mind, this is God wanting to, to use me, but, you know, nothing develops. It just simply means you just go on. Just forget it. You know, no harm done. Let the prophet speak two or three and let the other judge. See, the same thing found there. And I know that sometimes we have prophecy one person will prophesy. You know, and, and, and here's something that I, I think that you need to understand. I, I, uh, and I don't want you to feel that I think that I'm a, an authority on this. But, you know, occasionally I'll have someone who will come up and say, you know, somebody prophesied over... Over my son. I just, I'm thinking of one situation. Somebody prophesied on my son. Said he was going to live and he died. And lost faith in God. Um, I think that in prophecy, if we had a, a unity in the spirit, that we have in tongues and interpretation, that a person would think twice for one thing when he prophesied, because whatever I prophesy, somebody else got to prophesy the same thing. So if I stand up and say God's going to heal someone, you may say, uh, what if you really feel it, Brother Grant, and you don't feel that anybody go along with it, then don't prophesy it. You know, there are other spiritual gifts. There's a word of knowledge, you know. You could go up to the individual alone, tell the individual. Now, you see, the reason why the tongues are signed for the unbeliever is because when when a visitor comes in, there's one person in the back speaks in tongues, one over here and one over here, and it sounds like three different languages. I'm here to tell you, there, there is power in two or three witnesses. And this person, ah, oh, what's going on here? It captures his attention. And then all of a sudden someone gives an interpretation. And the interpretation reads the individual's mail, so to speak. What he's been thinking. See. I wish I had more time on... I must take next Thursday night. No, next Thursday night we have a missionary. Steve Shirley to the Dominican Republic will be with us. But I must take more time in this. But I, I, want to, I just want to end on this note. The revelation of sin. Uh, this is one of the surest signs that the Holy Ghost is moving among us is when sins are uncovered. I'm serious with you. You let God move in a profound way. 
And I I don't care how much we jump and, and clap and run the aisles or whatever. If there is no conviction in the house of God that causes sin to be revealed, uncovered, There's no real move of the Holy Ghost. Do you know, you can say whatever you want to. Anytime you claim that you pray through and you don't strengthen your convictions, I question that. It happens to the sinner and it happens to the saint. And you see, what happens here is that somebody gives a message, somebody else gives a message, somebody else gives a message, and all of a sudden an interpretation And that poor sinner is sitting there saying, I don't know who that man is, this man or this man, and I don't know who gave the interpretation. But I doubt very seriously that all these people got their heads together. There's something about this. God has uncovered sin. And through the manifestation of the Holy Ghost, sin will be exposed. Sinners will also attend the house of God. Let me tell you something. The stronger the conviction and the stronger the preaching against sin is, the more sinners will come. I'm here to tell you, I've argued this point with even preachers. They say, oh, you you know, you you have to watch nowadays. One one man said, it it isn't even right to call people sinners. Oh, don't come around telling me that you actually believe that. People have not changed. They say, oh, but this is a new age. And and this is the baby boomers. It was a new age too when John the Baptist came up on the scene. Nobody had prophesied in Israel for 400 years. And yet this man so clothed with the righteousness of God and the power of the Holy Ghost. He stood up and said, Oh, ye generation of vipers, who have warned you to flee from the wrath of God to come? Hallelujah, hallelujah, hallelujah. Don't tell me. Let me tell you something. You just can't get up here and stand behind the pulpit, make everybody feel good, get sinners to repent. You may build your membership, but there's a vast difference in getting a gang together and getting a church that's rapture ready. And the surest proof that the Holy Ghost is moving among you is the uncovering of sin, whether it be my sin, your sin, or a sinner's sin. The altar will be filled with people. Sinners will grace the house of God. Where there is no repenting, it is clear evidence that the Holy Ghost is not at work. I've got to close. I've gone too long. Listen, the church around the world, I just picked this up down. I'd like for you to stand, if you would. <clears throat> Here's why we need a Holy Ghost move. These are the last days. Listen to this. Nearly 50% of the world's population is under the age of 25. You know, I didn't know this. Mexico City is the world's largest city now with 20.9 million people. Right here in the Western Hemisphere. The Earth's population at the end of 1994 was 5,600,000,000 people. The Earth's 
projected population by the year of 2030 will be 8,500,000,000 people. Listen to this. Right now. When did we start? 7 o'clock. We've been in church almost an hour and 45 minutes. For each hour we're in church, we are in church, the earth's population increases by 10,000 people. Can you believe that? 10,000. 7,500 in 45 minutes. So, since we've been here in the house of God, 17,500 people have been born into this world. Do we need an operation of the Holy Ghost? Do we need the Holy Spirit walking among us and talking among us? Yes, we do. Oh, God. Oh, God. Move among us, Lord. Move among us. Would you feel after God right now? Jesus, Lord. I love you, God. Mm. Lord, oh Lord, oh Lord. Let's feel after God. Just let God use you. Would you do that? Oh, God. If I will, that's your main tonight. If I will, Do you believe the Lord is here? Oh, God. If you're here and you're undone without God, God can save you tonight. He can. He can wash your sins away. 
He can make your soul clean and pure. He can justify you, which simply means he makes you just as if you never sinned. Why don't you come and give your heart to God? Come on, step out. Come down to this altar and give your heart to God. Come on right now. Come on. Come on. Oh, hallelujah. If, if you're a member of this church and you're by someone that you feel that should come, why don't you invite them to come with you? Praise God. We're not trying to push anybody. You can't make people be saved. But we just want you to know we're concerned. We believe that Jesus is coming back soon. Come on right now. Our praise singers will be singing. That's it. Come on right now. I long so much to feel the touch of His consuming. Everybody find a place to pray. Why don't you come on down to the front?